Howdy, everyone. Welcome to Unsafe Space. Today is Wednesday, March 9th, 2022. You're watching Dangerous Thoughts with me, Carter Laren. I'm a real live non-leftist from California. Uh, I'm an advocate of limited government, where the limit goes to zero. Um, tonight is going to be a Ukraine-free zone. I don't want to talk about Ukraine. I'm tired of Ukraine. So that's the last you're going to hear of it. We have four items on the agenda tonight. Uh, four segments. I've divided the show into four segments for all of you and for my own sanity. The first is no need to read. The second is just a little intermission. The kids, it turns out, are not all right. Uh, then we're going to talk about groomer camp. And then finally, why Wordle is a black pill. Yes, it is. All right. So, um, first, if you're new to Unsafe Space, welcome. Uh, we're a channel with a bunch of different series on it. So this is deprogrammed, or sorry, this is this is Dangerous Thoughts. Deprogrammed is uh, no longer one of uh, one of the shows that we do here. It's on Carrie Smith's channel. So if you want to go watch that, you can um, on her new channel. Uh, the series that we have here are 451 Degrees, which is about censorship uh, and, and in the arts specifically uh great reset which i bet you can get with that guess what that's about that's with uh comics division hosts that one uh our last show of kofefi break will be this friday um with lou perez and sunny loman they'll be the guests um but that's going to be replaced by two new shows one is tentatively called narrative dissonance which will be on mondays it's a working title i don't think beverly likes it and uh the other one is going to be a maybe a genetically modified resurrection of token minority report. So you'll see that. And also we have a show called uh, Rebe rebel civics coming soon. So lots of stuff going on over here um, uh, for whatever your tastes are provided that your tastes are not for the giant teat of government. Uh, all right. This series though is dangerous thoughts. As I said, it's every Wednesday. Um, we are focused on, preserving, defending, and promoting the crucial life-affirming ideas responsible for the West's success. And by that, I mean epistemologically reason and ethically individualism. That's what I'm talking about. Uh, sometimes we get deep into philosophy. Other times we're a little bit lighter or maybe touch on psychology or stuff like that, which I think today is more, more that. Um, I do try and make it as fun as possible, but I'm a little bit too much like Ben Stein for that to be very successful. So if you have ADD, you'll probably have trouble here. Your NPC programming will halt and catch fire. But if you can focus and you want to fight the culture war with all of us in the community, stick around. You're in the right place. Um, one community member recently said this was like a Hillsdale College, sorry, a Hillsdale Constitution course, uh, which, of course, is an insult to Hillsdale College. Uh, but at least we're cheaper and you don't have to put on pants to participate. Before we start, a couple reminders. You really should subscribe to Unsafe Space. It's free. And it's easy, whether you're on Utreon, uh, Rumble, Odyssey, or YouTube, go hit that button. Also, please consider heading over to unsafespace.com. Uh, all of our shows are there. We live stream there always, so there's never any censorship over there. Sometimes we can't uh, stream on YouTube. So like our recent book club, which was um, a discussion about the real Anthony Fauci, which is a book by um, Robert F. Kennedy Jr., uh, we didn't stream that on YouTube, but we streamed it everywhere else, but it is on our website. So while you're at our website, consider throwing some worthless fiat currency our way. We may not be as entertaining as Netflix, but we promise not to turn your brain into a bowl of 
woke alphabet soup. Paid members get access to our community Discord server, their name in the credits. Uh, cool, awkward grenade mug, maybe, which is behind me, so I don't know where it is behind me there. Depends on your depends on your level. All right. Oh, and tomorrow, there's a special episode of Dangerous Thoughts tomorrow, an extra one. Um, there's a live stream at noon Pacific, 3 Eastern. Um, I'm going to talk to Nico House uh, from the political talk ne network Mikasa Esukasa. He's widely recognized as the first person to expose Hillary Clinton's infiltration into the Bernie Sanders campaign. Um, and that'll be live at uh, noon Pacific. All right. It's time to jump into stuff. Actually, before we start, it's just a random thing. I have this image sitting around because I wanted to. I'm seeing still a lot of people walking around with masks. Hopefully, I won't continue to see that, but it's still happening, especially in California here. And if you have you ever played, has anyone ever played the game Half Life 2? I feel this is it. I feel like I'm in Half Life 2. I know they don't look exactly, exactly like this, but I'm starting to feel like I live in Half Life 2. The police are becoming more militarized and uh, thuggish, especially if you're a trucker. And, um, and people are wearing these stupid things on their face. I'm starting to feel. Starting to feel like I'm living in Half Life. Okay, let's. With that said, let's go. Let's go into our segments. Okay, so our first segment is uh, is called "No Need to Read." You don't need to read. It's okay. Hashtag. Don't say gay. <laughs> so, um. You might have heard about the Florida Senate. They passed a bill, HB 1557, called the Parental Rights in Education Bill, uh, which I think DeSantis, I don't know if he's signed yet, but he's expected to sign. Uh, so it'll become a law. And if you get your news from social media or anywhere uh, semi-mainstream, you've seen it represented as the Don't Say Gay Bill. And there's a lot of cogent arguments from leftist celebrities, uh, for example, that intrepid boy farmer from Tatooine, Mark Hamill, for those of you who are listening, I'll just read his response to this bill, and I quote, gay, 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 well, it goes on, he ends with a rainbow emoticon, so our emoji, I guess is what the kids say. So there you go. That's that's what Mark Hamill has to say about it. So that's a good art, good argument that he's got. He's stunning and brave, Mark Hamill. Um, <laughs> someone in chat, Greg the Baritone says it's called "Don't Say Gay" bill because it doesn't say gay anywhere in the bill. Well, I don't know. Um, it seems like it must because Mark Hamill did that, and there's actually a there's there's videos floating around. There's a uh, libs of TikTok video. It's like a hundred or a hundred. It's a minute and 15 seconds long. And it's just people saying gay. Um, but Mark, um, in his, I can't believe I'm going to defend him. In his defense, he was responding to an Occupy Democrats uh, tweet. He was responding. So this is, this is not a celebrity. This is a political institution uh, describing the bill which said Florida students spoke loud and clear this week against the GOP's bill to cancel free speech. Whoa. And LGBTQ people, how do you cancel? Cancel the LGBTQ people. Cancel them. 
and they're going to say gay anyway. Retweet if you will too. And of course, Mark, Mark retweeted and added the word gay a few times. Now, this is kind of a damning characterization of this bill. Um, so I thought, well, what are the professionals? Okay, so these are celebrities and idiots on Twitter. What what do the professionals have to say about it? Let's talk. Let's look at the Florida legislators. Like they should have read the bill at least, right? They should know. They should represent it accurately. They read the bill. Let's see. Um, oh, <clears throat> yeah. First one is Representative Carlos G. Smith. He writes, while the Florida Senate prepares to pass, don't say gay. I'm in the House fighting voter suppression and anti-immigrant bills. We stand in solidarity with LGBTQ Floridians and others whose freedoms are under attack in this so-called free state. So-called free state. Hashtag let free Florida say gay. Hashtag say gay. And then he has, this is interesting. Um, you'll notice, I don't know if you can see it on this image over here, but I'm using my mouse to point. It doesn't work. Uh, <laughs> on this image over here, you can see this is a, it's his spot in like the, Hall of Congress or Hall of House of Representatives or whatever it's his seat. He's got a little piece of gaffer tape um, taped on it with the word gay written on it in like a white, I don't know if it's a white grease pen or something. I don't, I don't know what writes on gaffer. It looks like gaffer tape or something like that. Um, so he's got that there and he's got his little rainbow ribbon upside down because they're in distress. Uh, here's another Florida representative. She also has... This is a picture of her, those just listening. This is a picture of her with gaffer tape, the same kind of gaffer tape and the word gay written in the same white on it. This is Senator Lori Berman. She says, queer children exist and they need support, not silence. Hashtag say gay. Okay. They do indeed. Um, let's see. Next one. Oh, that was that one. Sorry, I, I read the wrong one. The third one here. So this is the one I you should have been looking at when I was talking. There's the third one. I did them out of order. The third one is from uh, Representative Allison Tant. She also has the, the gaffer tape and the word gay. And she says, I will continue to hashtag say gay and support our LGBTQ plus. The other ones didn't add the plus. She's better. Youth and community in the state of Florida. Now, I want to, before we even continue anymore. I want to uh, want to point something out about this. This is not organic, this this uh, tape thing. They all have gaffer tape. What kind of person, like what senator or congressperson or whatever is running around with gaffer tape? They all have gaffer tape with some kind of white writing utensil that writes on it. And it's all in the same handwriting. If you look at the word, if you look at the words, right? It's all the G's the same, the Y's the same. It's all the same handwriting. They're, the A's the same. The way they're written is all the same. So this is not like an organic, they just decided to do this. Someone, Someone's running around Florida Congress with gaffer tape and little and writing gay on it and handing it out to leftist uh, senators. Uh, Jen, just, you know, turning to the government for guidance here, Jen Psaki. Is that how you say her name? I don't even know. Jen Psaki called it called this bill discriminatory. It's a form of bullying. It is horrific. All right. And finally, let's hear from, I, this might sound like a silly thing to do, but I, I, I this is important because a lot of people get their news here and, and 
it's not really comedy. So let's hear from this guy, Colin Jost. He's from he hosts the weekend update on Saturday Night Live. It's a comedy show, right? It's comedy. And Kate McKinnon came on, and the joke in this show here was that she was misinterpreting the bill. She she thought it meant you can't harass gay people. You can't use the word gay like derogatorily. That was the joke. And he's the straight man explaining it to people. He's explaining what's in the bill to normal people using normal language. So you can't say, oh, this is comedy. You can't use it. Like, it's 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 just supposed to be funny. It's not supposed to be true. No. It's not a joke unless what he's saying as the straight man in the joke is true. Otherwise, it's not funny at all. So it's it's supposed to be funny because his explanation as the straight man, I, mean, I know straight man has a pun here, uh, is because his explanation is correct. That's why, that's why it's funny. The joke is that she's misinterpreting it, right? And so it only works if his characterization of this, this bill is true. So let's look at his characterization. Let's see what he says. There's been a misunderstanding. See, the law actually means that you can't acknowledge that gay exists at all. Okay, so point one. Actually, the law says you can't acknowledge that gay exists at all. This is quite a bill. I'm excited to read it. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, like teachers can't speak about gay people in history or if a kid has a gay family member. Wow. So so gay people in history can't be covered if a kid has a gay family member. Can I guess they can't be recognized. And if a kid, you know, confides that they're gay to a teacher, the teacher has to out them to their parents. You know? Oh. Okay, that's bad. Teachers got to out out you if you confide you're gay. Okay, let's keep going. Oh, maybe that was it. Sorry. Okay, so that's it. So that's his explanation for regulars. And she goes on, you know, uh, Kate McKinnon goes on to say, uh, like, she just, the rest of her sketch is like, she goes on to, to like, pre mistakenly say the word gay. So she's like, instead of saying I'm deeply offended, she's like, I'm deeply gay. Oops. Right. So she, that's, that's the joke. Um, okay. So look, let's read this speech. Um, this attack on free speech, this erasure of the existence of gays. Let's just let's just take a look. It's not that hard. Let's take a look at this thing. So I'm gonna. I'm, I'm obviously I don't want to read more than I have to because it's boring to read legislation. So I'm gonna skip over the beginning, which is like if you've ever had a legal contract, it's like the recitals. It's giving context, but it's not. It's not the meat. All right. So <clears throat> the meat here is like what they're actually changing the law to. Okay, so they're going to change some stuff, and here's what they're going to add. In accordance with the rights of parents enumerated in section blah, 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 adopt procedures for notifying a student's parent if there is a change in the student's services or monitoring related to the student's mental, emotional, or physical health or well-being and the school's ability to provide a safe and supportive learning environment for the student. The procedures must reinforce the fundamental right of parents to make decisions regarding the upbringing and control of their children by requiring school district personnel to encourage a student to discuss issues relating to his or her well-being with his or her parent or to facilitate discussion of the issue with the parent. 
The procedures may not prohibit parents from accessing any of the student's education and health records created, maintained, or used by the school district. So by the way, the, the context that I skipped over is very clearly laid out. This is a parental rights, which, you know, they named it that. So, uh, okay, so that, I don't see anything there about, this is parents have to be notified about changes in mental health or other health. And Okay. Number two, a school district may not adopt procedures or student support forms that prohibit school district personnel from notifying a parent about his or her student's mental, emotional, or physical health or well-being, or change in related services or monitoring, or that encourage or have the effect of encouraging a student to withhold from a parent such information. Okay, so parents want to know what's going on with their kid. Okay. School district personnel may not discourage or prohibit parental notifications of and involvement in critical decisions affecting a student's mental, emotional, or physical health or well-being. This subparagraph does not prohibit a school district from adopting procedures that permit school personnel to withhold such information from a parent if a reasonably prudent person would believe that disclosure would result in abuse, abandonment, or neglect. Okay. <clears throat> Number three. I think this is the one that probably gets their panties in a twist. Classroom instruction by school personnel or third parties on sexual orientation or gender identity. Let me read that part again. Classroom instruction by school personnel or third parties on sexual orientation or gender identity may not occur in kindergarten through grade three. Seems reasonable. Grade three is eight. Uh, or in a manner that is not age appropriate or developmentally appropriate for students in accordance with state standards. So this doesn't say you can't mention someone was gay in history. It says you can't do instruction on sexual orientation and gender identity until after they're eight. And after that, it's got to be reasonable, uh, like appropriate, developmentally appropriate. I'm waiting for the don't say gay part. Actually, the rest of these are all, I'll just skim them. So there's, that was point three. There's seven points total, but none of the rest really matter. So four is student support services training developed or provided by a school district to school district personnel must adhere to student service guidelines, blah, blah, blah. Five is at the beginning of the school year, each school district shall notify parents of each healthcare service offered at their student school and the option to withhold consent or decline any specific service, blah, blah, blah. Six, before administrating a student well-being questionnaire or a health screening form to a student in kindergarten through grade three, the school district must provide the questionnaire or health screening form to the parent and obtain the permission of the parent. Okay. Seven, each school district shall adopt procedures for a parent to notify the principal or his or her designee regarding concerns under this paragraph at his or her student's school and the process for resolving these concerns within seven calendar days after notification by the parent. And then there's just some details about how that's implemented. And then, wait, hold on. I'm sure at the end there's a point eight that says don't say gay. Let's see. Nope. There is not. No such point. So. <clears throat> Why the uh, classic histrionics here? 
I mean, we're literally just talking about K through eight years old, like kindergarten to third grade for the, the, the ban on, and it's not a ban on like talking about anything. It's a ban on instruction related to sexual orientation and gender. And after that developmentally appropriate. So why all these histrionics? <clears throat> By the way, uh, histrionic personality disorder, let me just, here's a few symptoms. Self-centeredness, un feeling uncomfortable when not the center of attention, constantly seeking reassurance or approval, okay. Hmm, this one's interesting. Opinions are easily influenced by other people, but difficult to back up with details. Hmm. Sounds like a Tatooine tradition. Excessive dramatics with exaggerated displays of emotion. Hmm. Where have I seen that before? Okay. According to, by the way, according to Psychology Today, um, this maybe explains why we have celebrities like this. It says people with histrionic personality disorder may do well with jobs that value and require imagination and creativity, but probably will have difficulty with tasks that demand logical or analytical thinking. <laughs> you think? So the question here is why? Why are these histrionics happening? Why is this? What, like, what the hell kind of response is this? I want to put a pin in that question because I'm going to relate it to another topic later. So for now, let's put a pin in that question. We'll come back and answer it in a moment after we talk about another story. Um, after we talk about the groomer camp story. So, yeah, let's just pause there for a moment. Now. I want to move on to our our little intermission here. Intermission is important. Got to got to pause. You can't talk about child sex education all day. It's uh it's emotionally taxing. So here's a real pause. We'll do a we'll do an intermission. It's still about kids, but they're older kids this time. These are college kids. The kids are all are not all right. The kids are not all right. Sorry to report, guys. So at the University of North Texas, a man named Jeffrey Younger spoke recently, or well, tried to speak recently. Um, you might remember him from 2019. Uh, he first, I think, I think that was the year he first popped up in the news. Um, he had a son who I think was seven at the time named James, and he was in a custody battle um, with his ex-wife. And he ended up losing sole custody, but the um, the, the essence of the battle was that, uh, Jeffrey was hit. The dad was claiming that James, the son was fine and presented as a boy and was kind of normal, normal boy, kid, whatever with him, but would come home from moms saying that he was a girl and that mom was dressing up in dresses. And he was basically arguing that she was inducing him into, uh, saying that he identified as a girl. Uh, Mom, by the way, is a pediatrician and family doctor, because of course she is. Uh, and then in 2001, um, there was another, uh, some, some more court drama, and mom ended up getting full custody. And I think as of now, he has basically no rights, except for he dad does have the right to veto hormone, repl hormone replacement and suppression therapy and surgery. So he can he can veto that stuff. But beyond that, he doesn't really have anything. So now this guy, Jeffrey, Jeffrey Younger is his name, the, the dad. He's running for the state house in 
Texas because, and this is one of his platform issues, right? It's like, this is ridiculous. Um, so he went because he's running for state house. He went to speak at the university of North Texas. He was invited to speak there. And you might have seen a clip of some of the student reactions here. Uh, fire that organization fire, which is the foundation for individual uh, rights in education. They've got a full YouTube video about it. It's like an hour long. So if you want to sit there and watch the entire hour, you can, but let's just look at a few highlights. Um, you don't have to watch the whole thing up. I, I pulled out some highlights. So uh, let me pull that up for you. And we will we'll watch the highlights together. Okay, now this is going to start out. This is going to start out with. Um, well. It starts out like this. Fuck these fascists. Now, um, that goes on for a little while. There's a little while. There's a lot of that kind of stuff. That goes on for a little while. Um, and uh, But a couple voices of like semi-civility uh, arise out of the, the masses. Um, and the first one is a guy who claims to be the dad of a trans person. He's completely on the side of the audience. He's like, yeah, we've made our point. But he stands up to suggest that they let Jeffrey speak. because so they're yelling like this. They're yelling, F you fascist. Jeffrey's standing in front of the classroom waiting to speak and he can't because they're screaming um, and pounding on the table. So, so he get this other guy gets up and he says, we should let him speak. Otherwise we'll look bad. He wants, he, you know, you'll look bad. I.e. people will see clearly what you are. So, um, so, so that's what he does. He's been invited by our university. You are in the right. But right now, we've had our protests. We need to let him speak. Why? 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 We need to let him speak. So why? Why? Okay. So let's see how that worked. Did it work? I don't know. Let's see. Nice to meet you, Jane. Fuck you, too. Um, <laughs> so, by the way, did you notice James's dude does this really cool... Th I think it's the right response. He, he just points and says, no! Like, he, doesn't, he doesn't argue. They're screaming. He just, no! He just refused. Just, no. And uh, I think what I, what I love about this response from him is I think a lot of these kids have never, ever, ever, ever heard someone say no to them and, and like, and mean it, like uphold the no. Uh, these are temper tantrums that they're having, right? Um, 
these are temp, you know, they're college temper tantrums, but they're temper tantrums. Like when I remember, um, like you can, you can train a kid to have temper tantrums. I remember being in the store, uh, a while ago and, uh, and seeing a parent, there was a kid that was like wanting a candy bar or something. I forget some kind of stupid thing at the checkout lane in the store. This is years ago. And the kid's like, I want this mommy whining, right? And the mom's like, no, can't have it. And so the kid escalates a little bit. I want this mommy. No, can't have it. The kid escalates a little further. And then finally the kid escalates enough that the mom's like, fine. And she gives in and she grabs the thing and she gives it to him. Well, well, people, what has the mom just done? She has trained the kid to escalate. That's what she's done. She trained him to escalate. That's what that accomplished, right? It's worse than if she had just given him the candy bar at the beginning, right? She trained him to escalate. You got to hold your boundaries. And these kids have never had anyone, I think, hold boundaries against them. So that's why I like this guy. Jeffrey's just like, no, <laughs> just that's it. Holding, holding a boundary. Um, so by the way, a lot of parents are like, you know, they have later kids and the, the, the kids have these temper tantrums and they're like, well, how do I stop this? The, the kid's doing blah, blah, blah. And I, I can't stop it. You know, and the unfortunate answer is usually like, go back in time, get in that time machine, go back and don't be a shitty parent when they're a child. Um, but, you know, hey. All right. So. Uh, let's see. Let, let's see some more. Let's watch some more. It's upside down. Just like your ideology. <laughs> No, I will not give my communist name. I will not. <laughs> so this guy, Jeffrey speaking and saying something they don't like is an emotional catastrophe for these people. But communism? A-okay. Woohoo! By the way, uh, I like that whoever that was couldn't even draw a decent hammer and sickle on the whiteboard. I thought that was hilarious. Uh, did you see, did you see it? Is it still up on the screen? Let me look. Yeah, you can see it's, it's like, I don't know. The sickle is, I don't want to say what it looks like. I'll just keep my mouth shut. Uh, but yeah, they're like, Hey, communism, communism's good. You know, you know, kids, uh, communism is not historically friendly to aberrant behavior socially. They're not <laughs> commies might just take you, put you against the wall. If you know what I mean, go read about Che Guevara, your little commie buddy in Cuba. Uh, look, the fact that being an outright communist is even socially acceptable tells you all you need to know about the future of Western civilization in America, I think. Right. And it's been acceptable for decades. I mean, when I was in college, it was okay. To be a commie. I mean, I mocked people that were commies, but most people were fine with it. Right? Um, and, you know, importantly, Yahtzeeism, <laughs> I'll say, I'll, I'll use YouTube safe language, Yahtzeeism isn't socially acceptable. Right? Can you imagine if that person got up there and drew a swastika? 
But of course, a swastika is morally equivalent to a hammer and sickle. I know we're being Ukraine free here, but even with all that's going on, you know, uh, Russia is evil. Ukraine needs to be saved. Even with all this going on, they're in the news. You could be. This is a good time to learn the history and look it up. Still, the death balance sheet for communism is never discussed. They probably don't even know about the Holodomor. They just sit, stand up there on the whiteboard with their scrawny arms raised, their fist, drawing a crappy hammer, hammer and sickle. And obviously, neither communist ideology nor its results are being accurately taught in school. Right. In fact, the reverse is true. Probably every every humanities major now graduates with a de facto minor in Marxist propaganda. All right, let's uh, let's keep going. Ranting about communism too much. Sorry, I should have warned you to cover your ears if you have headphones. Uh, so you can see he's yelling, I want to see, I want the world to see who you really, really are. And this person's response, I don't know what to call this person. I want to call her like Bouncing Betty or something because her she's like an emotional landmine. Um, but Bouncing Betty's response is to go into a blood-curdling scream. And by the way, she screams a lot throughout the video. I mean, uh, <laughs> my voice got, I could feel my voice getting tired watching her scream so much. So, okay, so there's more yell, there's more yelling, <clears throat> there's more screaming. Uh, let's take a look. I think there's, I think the next clip is more bouncing Betty. Let's see. So I, I don't know if you could hear what she was saying there, but she, I, I got it for you. She says, I'm 17 years old and I'm a political science major and my pronouns, and this is what I think she says. I don't understand it, but she says, and my pronouns are he, he, they. So you need to shut the fuck up. That's what she says. I'm 17. I'm a political science major who has never learned about communism. Uh, and my pronouns are he, he, they, I, I guess not learned about English either. So you need to shut the fuck up. Okay. All right, Betty. Bouncing Betty. Um, now, interestingly, if that like through this video, you can see a lot of people are yelling and making noise, but even the quiet randos in the audience are seething, seething, most, almost all of them. So here, here's an example. So if you're just listening, like the, the camera pans to this <clears throat> young lady <laughs> who's sitting there and she sees the camera and she just like makes this uh, crazy person face and flips the camera off and 
tilts her head to the side. Like, what are you looking at? Um, and most of them are like that. Most of the classroom is like that. Now, I don't want to, um, I don't want you to miss out on bouncing Betty's crescendo. She, she, she peaks in her performance here and I don't want you to miss it. So we got to go play. We got to go play the, the climax. Ooh, that's disgusting of bouncing Betty. For those listening, she falls to her knees while on that scream. That was a good scream. I like that one. Um, <laughs> this is all mental illness. Seriously. Uh, so anyway, all this kind of crap goes on for a while. Um, and then finally, the the second, the second uh, semi-civilized suggestion is made. This time, I think it's by one of the Stygian witches. Uh, it seems to me. Let's let's see. If he does not speak, they're going to keep making making an example of our cause. We have to let him speak. We have to humor. He wants to be This is called tactical respect for human rights. It's good, but we can take it away later. I don't know if you heard uh, Jeffrey saying you created this professors, which I think is, is good here. Um, also, there's someone saying, I can't tell who it is, but saying this is tactical respect for human rights, which can be taken away later. That should be a little bit uh, foreboding to you. Someone says, okay, Carter, don't worry about bouncing Betty. I don't know what else to call Zer. Anyway. Um, so that was, uh, that was the Stygian witch who had like a bikini kill t-shirt, which is, I guess is a band. So did bikini kill, uh, convince their classmates? Did that work? Let's find out. Let's see. Help me out here, Evie. Are you like a crazy person? Yes. Yes, I think. <laughs> I think she's like a crazy person. <laughs> um, so just uh, our favorite landmine there is yelling, It's Sir! It's Sir! And Jeffrey, kind of awesome, is saying, I got it, ma'am. 
and she's yelling, it's disrespectful. Now, let's to be clear. She spent the last 45 minutes screaming at the top of her lungs at him so that he can't give an invited talk. And this particular interaction began with her screaming at him, you can suck my fat cock. But he's being disrespectful. He's the disrespectful one. I love the projection. And, you know, frankly, I think, you know, to some extent he is being disrespectful because she didn't show him an ounce of respect. Uh, he should be disrespectful. You don't deserve respect. Not because you're trans, but because your behavior is despicable and it's the behavior of a savage. I would say it's the behavior of a child, but that's an insult to children. It's the behavior of a brat. It's the behavior of an absolute brat. <sighs> I got to be honest, guys, this is the best argument I have yet seen against Texas seceding and being the lifeboat for us all. You guys got some house cleaning to do over there. It feels like Berkeley. I can go down the road and get that. All right. Let's talk about, let's do our next segment about groomer camp. But, you know, I need a palate cleanser a little bit here. I have a palate cleanser for you. It's just random. Here's a piece of art. This piece of art I have in my house by a friend of mine. Well, I haven't talked to him in a while. But do that now. We're still friendly, I guess. There you go. That should cleanse your palate. I don't care if you like the art or not. It's better than what you just saw. Take a deep breath. All right. So, <sighs> Groomer Camp. Dun, 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 dun. Groomer Camp. Yay. <sighs> I don't know. Sorry, I'm I'm not even sure sometimes where to start. Okay, so Tony Kinnett from the Chalkboard Review first broke this story. You can follow him on Twitter at the Tonus, T-O-N-U-S. And then there's an in-depth article uh, in Post Millennial by Mia Cathell about this. Uh, just in case you can't see this graphic, here's the here's a zoom in. Um, and I've because I'm an old man, I printed it out here. I'm going to read some stuff about it. For those of you who are listening, the graphic in, you know, primary colors with some, looks like finger paint splashes on it or whatever, says so Sex Ed Summer Camp. June 6th to 10th, 8 to 5 p.m. So it's a week-long camp, all day. Location, the half-liter barbecue and beer hall in Indianapolis. Yeah, because, you know, of course, you that's where you have summer camp for kids about sex. Grades. Grades third through fifth. Learning through play. Let's talk about sex ed with Miss Ashley. <laughs> really, let's not. Um okay, so that's uh I'm gonna I'm gonna give you an overview. I'm just gonna give you the highlights of this. I went down a rabbit hole and I don't I don't actually think it's worth going through all the details. And like I said, um Mia Cattell's article in Post Millennial is awesome. I'll put it in the in the show notes. 
if you want to if you want to go down the rabbit hole you can but i'm going to go through some highlights because so here here's it here's here's the i printed out the page here um and i already read the, the front page so let's read let's read a little bit about this now this is for um grades three to five someone said they thought the camp was in kentucky no g-man it's in uh in indianapolis at least this one maybe maybe there's one near you i don't think g-man's in kentucky that's how my daughter i don't know if you can hear that's how the baby feels about this idea she's not happy all right sex ed summer camp for grades three to five <clears throat> consent communication personal empowerment boundary setting Emotional IQ, all things kids need to learn that school doesn't teach um, um, about this event. Our whole lot, the Our Whole Lives curriculum, this is a, it's a noun, a proper noun, Our Whole Lives. The Our Whole Lives curriculum offers a positive, affirming take on puberty, human sexuality, and social emotional skills without coercive abstinence-based strategies. Science has taught us that, <laughs> that all kids need to be masked all the time, so why bother? Oh. Uh, sorry, science has taught us that informed people make more informed decisions. The best part, actually, science has not taught us that. Science has taught us that informing people who are already indoctrinated makes them solidify their position. That's not even true. I just realized that's just false. Science has not taught us that. Anyway, the best part, it's taught through fun, engaging activities. Play! <clears throat> Want to learn more about the curriculum? <laughs> Must I? Look here. So this, and there's a link to this. This is the Our Whole Lives Lifespan Sexuality Education Curriculum. By the way, thanks, Universal Unitarians. I think that's the church that sponsors this. Um, th thank you guys for this. I, I appreciate it. Um, so this curriculum, there's a lot here. This this is like broken down. I guess there's, there's whole... Um, material for parents and educators to talk about sex at various uh and 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 stuff even remotely related to it at various levels there's a k through one the section there's a grades four through six seven through nine ten through twelve young adults and adults they got all this they got all this material um just in case you were worried that they were teaching it the wrong way uh it does take a social justice approach to inclusivity to inclusive sex inclusive sexuality education so that's good. You want a social justice approach when it comes to that. Um, I I watched some videos of the I watched some videos of the the educators talking about the K K through one our whole lives curriculum, which isn't the summer camp, but it gives you an idea of like what kind of curriculum this is. Like that was the stuff that was available. The other stuff wasn't as easily available. Um. So I, I watched some videos on it, and uh, someone says a church sponsored this. Oh, my God. Yeah, you, the Universal Unitarians, I think that's their name. Uh, they're pretty horrible. They've always they've been horrible for a while. Like 20 years ago, my buddy was an atheist, and they let him like be a deacon or whatever at the church. They didn't care. Granted, that was in San Francisco, but they're not, they're not the kind of church you're thinking of. Um. <laughs> Anyway, they have a bunch of, I think there's like seven or something segments for the grades K through one. And I'll, and I'll be honest, some of the segments were good. I, I'm a, I straight up, I'm saying that. The first segment was on, um, I think it was, uh, no, this, the third segment. 
The third segment was on body, body boundaries. And it was, it was okay. It was about teaching your kid that they don't, um, they can say no to being hugged or kissed or whatever, like that they can, like they don't have to hug grandma or if, if they're tickling someone and they say to stop, they have to stop. Or if they're being tickled or whatever, then they say stop, people should respect it. Like it was, it was fine. It was, it was good. But of course mixed in is a, a section on, you know, I think number, the unit number two was on gender. And of course it was all trans stuff and, and, um, and that kind of thing. So it, it's, uh, you know, they have some stuff that's like, okay, that that's fine. When you first think of sex education for kindergartners, it seems like that shouldn't exist. But when you, and you're like, oh, the body boundaries, like, well, that should exist. That, that makes sense. That's fine. But then they throw in, throw in a bunch of other stuff. Um, you know, I was going to pull this up, but I didn't, let me actually find it and I can tell you what it is. There is, so this, this whole thing is, I think the words they use are is it inspired by or based on, um, yeah, it is the universal Unitarian. Unitarian Universalist Church, by the way, this whole or our whole lives program is based on these guidelines for comprehensive sexuality education, kindergarten through third grade. If you want to find, I can maybe put this, put a link or something up to this. In fact, here, let me try and share it, uh, share the screen right now. This wasn't planned, but we'll do this. Let's see. So it's like based on this thing, this guidelines thing. Uh, and guidelines for comprehensive sexuality education, the National Guidelines Task Force. Um, and if you're interested to see what some of the stuff they're pushing is um, and what they consider guidelines for education, and it's, this, you know, you can you can read this and it's broken into different categories. Um, blah, blah, blah. Here's some doctors who like us. Um, it's broken into key concepts that need to be taught. There's six key concepts, human development, relationship, personal skills, sexual behavior, sexual health, society, and culture. And for each of the concepts, they have like how to teach you at different levels. Like for, for kindergartners, do the concept this way for 12th graders, do it that way. Um, so if you're, if you're curious about where some of these programs are getting their basing their curriculum off. This is the thing that they're basing it off of a lot of them, including this one. So um, we don't need to go into it. It's kind of what you'd expect. The reason I don't feel like going into it is it's disturbing sometimes, but also it's uh, like I said, some stuff is fine. So you're going through and it's to get a wade through and find the stuff that's disturbing, but it's disturbing in exactly the way that everyone that's watching this show would expect it to be disturbing in. Like there's not, it's exactly what you would expect. There's nothing, there's no news here from that perspective. So, but what I do want to do is previously I said, hey, let's put a pin in this question of why. Why all the histrionics over the no need to read bill? Over the don't say gay, but why, why all these histrionics? What's going on? Um, And obviously celebrities like like Mark Hamill and other celebrities, um, obviously those are just easily controllable puppets, right? They're kind of ideal targets for uh, activist prop, uh, propaganda because 
they're they're not going to do any actual research. Um, their opinions are all second handed, and they've got a huge audience, and they're prone to histrionics. So they're perfect. They're perfect targets here. But there's got to be a puppet master. Like there's like going to be a puppet master. Someone coined this term. Don't say gay, right? Well, I looked to see who the hell coined this term. And the first instance I could find, let's see if I can, you know, I just realized this other video that I want to share, the sound might not work. But anyway, the first the first one that I, um, the first instance I saw is this one. This is from a Twitter account called Gwendolyn. Gwendolyn Resist, of course. You can see all the stuff she's got in her profile. There's, there's Gwendolyn. Gwendolyn's got vaccine boosted, lifelong dem, equality for all. Sober for a few years. Okay, Black Lives Matter. So this is the first person I saw use the hashtag. But she was responding to this guy. You recognize him. He was one of the people that we, he was the guy, the first guy in the image that we we looked at who um, who had the gaffer tape at his like desk. And she was responding. So she's the first person I found that used the hashtag. She was responding to this guy who I think is the first person who used the phrase, don't say gay. So he knows the bill. He's, he's a member. Let's, let's see. What's his, what's he even say? Uh, the first Florida's first LGBTQ Latino legislator, Florida House District 49. He, him, L. Thanks. Uh, so he knows the bill. Like he didn't, he doesn't not know this. He doesn't not know the text we just read. He's there. And let's see what he says. I don't know if sound will work here. And if it doesn't, I will just read what he says because it's closed captioned. <clears throat> um, but let me let me see if the sound will work. I want to address what happened this morning in committee. This don't say gay bill, which passed through its first House committee, that's House Bill 1557, for those who are following along. Now, I call it the don't say gay bill because it's going to effectively erase LGBTQ students' families and LGBTQ history by banning classroom discussion about anything gay or anything trans in K through five. That's what the bill does. The language is very clear. So if a fourth grader wants to come into their classroom, they've written an essay about their two dads, and they want to present that essay uh, to the classroom to talk about who they are, to talk about who their family is, the school is going to shut it down. Can't talk about it. Don't say gay. The bill sponsor talked about how we're not going to have anything in curriculum that encourages these types of conversations. Well, curriculum is history as well. And I want to point out the tragedy at Pulse nightclub that happened in our state. 
deeply impactful to the community in Central Florida and beyond. We should and we are encouraging these types of conversations in our schools, the impact that it has had on the surrounding community, on the surviving family members. This is not a taboo discussion. We will not be erased. LGBTQ families will not be invisible. LGBTQ students will not be invisible. They will be seen, they will be supported, they will be loved. They need to be loved and supported. <laughs> um, look, you guys just read the bill with me. He's just a fucking liar. It's just a lie. He's just lying. It's just a lie. He's outright lying. It's an outright lie. It's Hollywood. He's an actor. It's all histrionic. He invoked the tra the tragedy of the, the pulse. Nightclub. His voice is quivering. He's trying to hold back tears. He misrepresents both the intent of the bill and the actual language of the bill. And by misrepresents, I mean lies his fucking gay ass off is what he does. He catastrophizes this. You see this both on the left and the right sometimes. They catastrophize stuff. And the goal with catastrophization is, if that's a word, the goal with catastrophizing is, is to prod you into dropping everything you're doing right now and join their army for their cause. Which is kind of easy for celebrities, right? Because they have nothing to do, mostly. They control their own schedules, especially, you know, old useless ones like Mark Hamill. Like, he just isn't, he has nothing to do. So, sure, he can he can type gay 50 million times into Twitter, put a rainbow at the end of it, pretend like he's done something. So anyway, on January 20th, which is when this uh, the term started, the don't say gay, this term was introduced uh, by this guy. So on January 20th, I will say the, the part of Joseph Goebbels was played by Representative Carlos Smith from Florida. Thank you, Carlos. G-Man says, is he gay? I couldn't tell. That's a great question, G-Man. I don't presume to know. I don't even know what his pronouns are. Oh, I do, because they're in his Twitter profile. I know what his pronouns are. <clears throat> okay, so why? Why? This guy's in the legislature, so he could have just, if he didn't like the bill, right, he could have just said, hey, I understand the intent here. You know, we don't want to be talking at to, you know, kindergartners inappropriately about sex. I get that. I get that. But the language here is vague and it should be fixed. He could have he could have made some argument. I don't think the language is vague, but he could have made some argument about that, right? He could have said to the bill's authors, hey, do you intend to prevent a gay kid or a kid with gay parents from writing an essay about them? Which is the claim he makes. You can't even do that. He could have done that, but he didn't. He went on, he just lied. 
and and went on this you know dramatic, melodramatic soliloquy. So why why did he do that? You could say you could say that okay, he and his ilk. You know, they want exclusive control over the moral education of children, and that's why they're upset because they're losing some of that to parents or, you know, it's being affirmed that they don't have exclusive control over the moral education of your children. Because, you know, most people see sexual issues as at least partly moral issues. I mean, I, I think that's pretty common, maybe not everyone, but most people at least think there's a moral component there. Um, and the Florida bill gets in the way of that, right? Like, it's like, eh, eh, you, you don't have complete control over moral indoctrination of our children. So they have to demonize the bill by any means necessary, right? Because they, to these people, remember, remember to activists like this, the end justifies the means. They don't care. They don't care about the means. So he just lies his fucking ass off. And of course, so of course, I think that's true. I think that is that is true. They do want exclusive control over the moral education of your children. Um, but, and this is the reason I waited until after the sex summer camp, sex ed summer camp thing. The sex ed summer camp exposes a different problem, which is, which is pernicious. That camp, just as a reminder, just because I, I think everyone needs to see this, this one, this camp here, sex ed summer camp, 250 bucks for the week. Third graders. Uh, that camp isn't a government forcing anyone. This isn't this isn't the case of a a school board that that you know the school board run amok while the parents weren't paying attention. It's not a few activists who like ran amok and, and no one was paying attention. This is a quote free, this is a free market. Right. Such such that it is. I mean, I don't know where the funding for some of this comes from. And and we're not in a free market anyway, which uh, once you understand that the monetary controls actually trickle down to everything and affect everything, you understand how much of a free market we are not in or how much we're not in a free market. Um, <laughs> G-Man G -Man says, so I got to I got to I got to put this up. Oops, I screwed up something. G-Man says, uh, Carter, when I want you to read my message, I will pay you to read my message. All right. Thank you. Um, anyway, uh, this is not, this is not that. This is kind of a, this, the, I, again, free market, whatever. This, this is parents willingly paying. They're, they're wanting to send their kids here. Because remember that the customer here is the parent, right? This is not a case of, uh, child-driven demand for this, right? No eight-year-old. It's like, mommy, yes, honey, I'm, I I want to go to sex ed summer camp this year. Can I practice putting condoms on cucumbers? Such an eight-year-old doesn't exist, and if they do, not that I'm a fan of government agencies, but you may want to consider CPS. So look, their eight-year-olds aren't running around requesting this. This isn't, this isn't a demand. It's not, it's not a demand driven thing from eight-year-olds. Eight-year-olds, I got, I have a daughter. She's 12 now. When she was that age, eight through 10, her summer camps, when she went to summer camps were horseback riding, which is most of her life. She spends at the barn, spy camp, D&D, &D, 
camp, like a LARPing kind of D&D thing. She didn't, <laughs> she would never in a million years have said, I want to go to the sex ed summer camp at the beer garden. <laughs> oh, by the way, I forgot to read the FAQs on that one. Maybe I should have. Here's some FAQs just in case you want to know. Will the kids be divided by gender? <laughs> you know the answer to this, right? How could they be divided by gender? Genders, there's infinite genders. It's a spectrum. Oh, we can't do that. No, gender is a spectrum. Oh, what do you know? Uh, will kids see a condom demonstration? Yes. Because eight-year-olds, that's what they want. They're primed for level-headed learning. I mean, indoctrination. Oh, wait, no, level-headed learning. That's what it says. They're information gatherers slash innocent sponges that we can fill with toxins. Anyway, um, so parents want this thing. Kids might not want it, but parents do. Like this, this must be. There must be enough parents that want to send their kid here, right? Poor kids, honey. This year you're going to sex ed summer camp at the beer garden. Oh no, you have to learn how to put condoms on cucumbers, honey. It's very important. How do you think I get to be vice president? Um. All right. So, uh, why? Why do they want to do this? Why do they want to send their kids? To, to this kind of a place. I thought of a couple reasons. I don't I don't know. I thought of a couple reasons. The first is you view your child as a fashion accessory. We've seen a lot of that in the past couple years mom's posting it's always mom's mom's posting posting like uh covid masks here's my daughter with 58 masks right jabs oh yay we're getting the jab right like there's a lot of like i'm you know <laughs> my child is a prop for social media and you see it a lot with trans stuff as well again usually almost always moms thanks ladies uh so you know, that could be it. It could be it could be that. And and I, I will say, if you're willing to use your child to gain social media likes and accolades from your girlfriends in spin class, you are unfit to be a parent. Full stop. You're unfit, crazy lady. It's a form of abandonment. Psychologically, it's a form of psychological abandonment. Um. You know, they talk about erasing the existence of trans kids. That's their big thing. You're erasing our existence, erasing existences. Treating your kid as a prop, that actually is a form of psychological erasure. You're erasing them psychologically. Kids and, and other people need um, what's called psychological visibility, right? Which this it's this, this, this notion that you're seen by others, that they see you. And your parents are, obviously are probably the most important uh, other people in your life. You need that. And props don't get any consideration. Props don't get seen psychologically because they're props. So if that's the kind of thing you do, you're a narcissist and you're abusive. Okay. So it could be that category of people. It could just be all the the COVID virtue signaling moms with the you know four jabs in their kid's arm now sending them to sex ed summer camp. And probably that's some of it. I get it. But I also thought, okay, what about a category of people that is um, 
Like, what if I'm trying to be generous? What's like an innocent reason to send your kid? Like, seriously, I'm, I. What's like a non malevolent reason to send your kid? Like, why? Why would you do this? And the only thing I could come up with really here was, um, you just want to evade the responsibility of parenting. I thought about this a little bit. Um, look, there's a reason that you send your kids elsewhere. Many people do. They send their kids elsewhere to learn like calculus or you send them to school. You send them somewhere to learn calculus. Calculus is a specialized skill set. Um, it takes a long time. It's lots of effort to prepare lessons and teach cal calculus. It's, it's, you know, it's a big deal to teach calculus. Calculus is also amoral, right? You can learn it or not learn it. It doesn't affect you morally. It might affect your ability to, you know, be an engineer or something, but it's not going to, it's not, it doesn't have a moral impact on you, whether or not you learn calculus. Um, so it makes sense to outsource teaching calculus, but you know what you don't outsource as a parent? You don't outsource things like feeding, clothing, and housing your child. Cause if you did outsource those things, we wouldn't call you the parent, right? When someone else feeds clothes and houses your child, we call that adoption. They're the parent. That's that's what we call that, right? Maybe you can still say you're biologically the parent, but if someone else is responsible for, for feeding, clothing, and housing your kid, they're the parent. That's what adoption is. And the same is true for basic psychological and philosophical disposition of your kids, for, for setting that disposition, for raising them morally, for providing the moral fodder that they need to consume in order to be healthy psychologically and philosophically. The cognitive apparatus of humans is their primary means of survival. Their reasoning mind, their psychological health, emotional stability, all that. That's, that's, that's our means of survival. We don't have big claws or, you know, sharp teeth. We don't run super fast. This, this is how we survive. And if you leave, if you left, for example, the care and feeding of your child's physical health to someone else would say you've abandoned them. The same is true if you leave their mental health up to someone else and their psychological or their philosophical health. The mind is the primary means of survival, right? If you saw a cheetah that gave birth to a cub and somehow, I don't know how this would work in, in nature, but the cheetah fed it somehow, but never taught the cub to hunt. Right, like the you know took picked up the cub by the scruff of the neck and buried it in a hole and went and hunted and came back and gave it unburied gave it meat. It never got to see how to hunt. Never taught the cub how to hunt. Never taught the cub how to survive on its own. Would call that a form of abandonment. Would be like, what the hell is this cheetah doing? This is this is a problem. Cheetahs need to be competent to hunt if they're gonna break you know grow up. And humans need philosophical and psychological competence. And as a parent, that's your fucking job. Just as much as clothing and feeding them is your job, that is your job. That's your job. You can't outsource it and pretend to be a responsible parent, especially in a society that's clearly in a state of moral decay and disarray. Because your child, look, philosophy is not a thing you choose to do. I mean, you can choose to think about philosophy. We should. But you adopt one. Philosophy is like <laughs> philosophy is how you're living your life. Like it's it's your it's your it's the rules by which you live your life. It's the it's the mental model by which you you view good and evil and all. It includes all of that. Philosophy is a way of living. If you don't think about it consciously, well, 
there's plenty of shit to absorb around you. And you'll become, you know, we've talked about this term before, you become a social metaphysician, right? You look around at your your peers or whatever, and, and you you do, you accept as truth or um, the right way, whatever is happening around you, right? And your kid will develop, obviously your kid's going to develop some kind of a psychology. And if you leave that up to, to everyone else, or to some lady teaching summer camp, uh, they're going to absorb whatever messages they're told about themselves whether those are healthy or not, right? Now, I've, I'm older than people think I am. I've seen quite a few colleagues go from being single, <clears throat> getting married, and having kids. And uh, Beverly thinks I'm 87. Well, I'm younger than Beverly thinks I am. I've seen quite a few colleagues go from, from being single to, to being married and then, and then having kids. And there's a typical trajectory here. It's not everyone, but typically, and I think you guys will maybe, hopefully this resonates with you, but typically in the single person's in like a default secular lifestyle. And maybe they go to church around the holidays. At least that's, that's what I've seen. And maybe if in different part of the country, you see different things. Then they get married and they get pregnant and suddenly they start thinking about, oh shit, now I got to raise my kids. And I want my kid to learn right from wrong here. Right? I want them to learn right from wrong. Uh, and they think about this for a little while. And they and they and I've actually had this discussion explicitly with a friend, so I'm kind of using him as an example. But they think about this for a little while, and they say, "Well, how, do, how am I going to teach this right from wrong stuff?" Right? And they get overwhelmed by this idea. Right? They feel like they know right from wrong, even if they don't necessarily. Um, but they're, are, they're afraid of having to articulate it to their kids. They're not sure how to teach it. They kind of dread the inevitable barrage that's going to come from a kid. Like, why, 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 why? And they're like, I don't feel comfortable with this, right? And so what they do, which is understandable, right? They reflect back on their own childhood. And they have a eureka moment. They go, church! I need to go to church. That's where I learned to not lie or steal or whatever. I, got, I So they start going to church. Right? A lot of times you see people, they have kids, they start going to church and they go to church originally. I mean, maybe then it becomes a part of their life again, but they go to church originally often in hopes that the church will teach their kids in the same way that they were taught. Cause they kind of feel like my morals are okay. I don't really know how to teach it. I learned it from church. That's what I'll do. Teach my, my, my kid will learn it from church. Now, of course, uh, I, just to be clear, I view this as outsourcing the moral education of your child. I don't think you should do it in that way. I'm not saying you shouldn't go to church if you're a believer. Uh, although I guess we can have, we can have later arguments about whether you should be a believer or not, but like, you know, in deference to the, to the people who go to church and are Christians and believers, like, I'm not saying you shouldn't go. What I'm saying is you don't, the, the responsibility for moral education still lies with you. You can't outsource it even to, even to a church, because theoretically what you think you're doing is you're outsourcing it to a known institution. You feel like this is the institution that worked for me, so it's the institution that should work for my kids. But there's a big danger here. Uh, a common danger that many parents I don't think realize. The name of your church might be the same, the symbology might be the same, the Bible might be the same. The building might even be the same. But the people there and their beliefs are not the same as they were when you were kids, when you went there. 
the moral framework may be quite different. We've seen social justice infiltrate a number of churches. And even if it's not social justice, religious institutions have a tendency to adapt to societal trends. And you have to decide whether you like that adaptation or not. You can't just be like, well, I learned it. I'm going to send my kid to the same kind of church because I learned it at church. So ultimately, the moral education of your kids is crucial to their ability to thrive as adults, and it's your responsibility to teach it. I'm not going to get into a discussion about how to teach it today, although I know people have asked me about parenting stuff, which maybe we'll do. But let's circle back to this sex ed stuff. Like I said, most parents have some kind of moral perspective on sexuality. They, you know, they view morals as part of it. Also, most parents are, let's just be honest, most parents are pretty uncomfortable with the idea of talking to their children about sex. It's, I mean, it's a running gag on a bunch of sitcoms, right? There's the, there's sitcoms, I feel like a lot of sitcoms where, like, the parents are kind of passing the responsibility to talk to the kids uh, back and forth with each other like a hot potato, right? Um, and, of course, in modern sitcoms, it always falls to the mom because dads are doofuses and imbeciles, and that's what Hollywood thinks of fathers, so they always fail. Um, but that's how it's kind of treated. Um, but it's not like it's not like talking to your kids about sex is calculus, right? You're not teaching a, a, a medical school course on anatomy. It's just basic stuff, and you know it. You might have to spend some time figuring out how to present things to your kid in an age-appropriate manner at the right time when they ask or whatever. Maybe that's a little bit of work, right? But it's not a lot of time. It doesn't take, at the age of eight... It doesn't take an entire week full time. It might take you <laughs> an hour or two. I don't know. It's not that complicated. But of course, time isn't the issue here. It's discomfort. Parents want to avoid the discomfort of it all. So just like in the sitcoms where the parents are really, some, some of the parents are really uncomfortable with it, they're relieved when someone else volunteers to do it. And they're so relieved that they'll they'll happily pay someone 250 bucks. That's what this 250 bucks to send their kid to a week-long sex ed summer camp by strangers, by the way, hosted by people you don't know. I'm sure they have nice Facebook profiles and resumes. So those are two of the main reasons I can think why someone would send their kid to a place like that, like the kind of malevolent reason and the kids are virtue signal props, right? And the kind of more you're still guilty of something here, but less malevolent. You're shirking your responsibility, right? Because you know the material. Like I said, it's not a week's worth of material. Um, but you 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 don't need an expert to do this. You don't need an expert to impart their moral values and basic, basic factual information to your child. You, they just don't care enough about it to do it yourself, or the discomfort is so much for you, it prevents you from doing what you should be doing just having the uncomfortable conversation. Um, I want to, you know, there's another point I want to make about outsourcing sex education here. Let's say you're uncomfortable talking to your kid about sex, which, you know, I'm not saying everyone is or even should be, but it's kind of normal to be a little bit awkward about that. When you outsource, when you send them to this camp here, You realize you're outsourcing this job to someone who isn't uncomfortable talking to kids about sex. 
I remember when I was in eighth grade, we had a health education class and I forget the guy who taught, I think he was like a football coach or something. I don't remember what he was, but like they made him teach the, the couple of units on sex stuff. He clearly hated it. He did not want to be there. It was like part of his job. But this, the sex ed summer camp, these are adults who presumably like talking to kids about sex. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean they're groomers. I'm not saying they're necessarily groomers. But I would expect a higher percentage of groomers here, wouldn't you? I mean, most people wouldn't want this job. Most people wouldn't like, I know what I'm going to spend my summer doing, you know, right? And again, maybe some good people want to do this. They want to teach it out of benevolence in some way to make sure kids don't, you know, make mistakes. But all groomers want to do this. They all want this job. This is like their wolves go to where the sheep are. So, you know, I'd personally be quite skeptical of a cabal of adults who've decided that running a sex ed camp for eight to 10 year olds in a beer hall in Indianapolis was a fun way to spend their summer. Again, not saying they're all groomers, but I am saying the job actually isn't necessary. Their job isn't necessary. The videos from this this thing, even if I disagree with them, the videos they have from this owl or our, our, our whole lives, the videos that they have here, they're for educators and parents. So this is, they say that explicitly. There is a role for, I guess, if parents need help or whatever, there's a role for people telling parents like, oh, here's here's some ideas and here's how to talk about it. Like that's There's a role for that. But I'm pretty skeptical about the motivations behind something called Summer Ed Sex Camp. Sorry, Sex Ed Summer Camp uh, for eight-year-olds. And, you know, even if there's nothing sexually nefarious here, at the very least, some of the motivation of these people is to impart radical leftist ideology into your children, to have moral sway, to normalize postmodern deconstruction of gender, to affirm delusional identities rather than to honestly prioritize the psychological health of your children. So the thing I want you to realize with this story and the don't say gay bill is this isn't a political problem. This is a cultural problem. I can get, we can get all worked up about passing laws and, you know, put a don't say gay bill thing in your state or I shouldn't call it that because that's not what it is. Uh, but it's not a political problem. You're not going to solve it. It's a cultural problem. It's a problem with parents accepting responsibility. It's a problem with foundationless morals, the social metaphysics. And ultimately, this is a problem with philosophy and psychology. And we've talked a lot on this show about how they're related, the, the historical dance between the two. But that's what needs to change in our culture. It's a long lead time for the results on it. Unfortunately, you can't do it overnight. But that's ultimately what needs to change. You need to, you need to have a society where this gets no one to attend, at the very least. Again, if you're interested in the details of this and the people who are teaching it and their... Views and backgrounds, I do suggest the post-millennial article. Because, um, yeah, it's a very it's a very thorough article, and it does go into the details of who these people are. Let's do another quick palate cleanser, because um, this stuff just bothers me. <laughs> I guess that shouldn't be a surprise. Here's my palate cleanser this time. It won't be a piece of art that I have in my house, but it will be art. I'm just going to introduce you to the site. Do you guys know artrenewal.org? It's been around for at least 
20 years. I remember it like 20 years ago. It's artrenewal.org is the URL. Leading the revival of realism. You can peruse here. There's a bunch of different art. There's a museum. You can search. There's like, they don't have a great way of displaying it. Um, but you can search for basically anything, right? You can just kind of browse. Like this is just alphabetical. <laughs> like you just browse for art. There's no postmodern shit. Um, you know, I don't like all of it, but it's it's way better than walking into a modern museum in the U.S. and looking for some art that's good. So there's your palette cleanser, artrenewal.org. Uh, I don't spend a lot of time on this, but I do go to this site sometimes. It's kind of cool. It's kind of cool. And you can look up, you can look up basically any, like any, any artist, Bouguereau, like any of the classics. They're all in here, obviously. And some, and some modern people who do some similar stuff. All right. I needed that palette cleanser. Thank you for indulging me. Um, all right. Last topic. I know we're long today. I was going to say it was a short day, but I knew it wasn't going to end up being short. It never is. It never is. Okay, so let's do our last segment here. Wordle is a black pill. Yes, indeed it is. Wordle is a black pill. I'll explain why. Um, kind of want to... The reason I want to talk about this is it's it's a way to look at life, learn some life lessons from small things. Wordle's a tiny, insignificant, stupid, petty thing. But you can still learn some life lessons from this. Um, in, I think it was episode, I think it was the fifth episode that we did of Dangerous Thoughts. Um, I think it's called What Are Principles? We talked about, well, briefly touched on the idea that there are psychological consequences for immoral behavior. Here, I'll put the link to that episode in here. In case you guys want to see it. And the example that we talked about was honesty. We didn't really go through it in too much detail, but we meant we mentioned that, you know, immoral behavior has negative psychological consequences. And I thought maybe we would talk about these consequences using an example of a small, a small lie. Um, something I think a lot of people would consider inconsequential. Also, I think it turns out to be a little bit of a black pill. So for those of you who don't know what Wordle is, it's kind of a trivial game. Um, you you get six tries to guess a five-letter word, uh, and it shows you if you got a letter right in the position right or a letter right in the position wrong. And, um, you know, it's fun, I guess. Uh, <laughs> winning at Wordle is nothing to brag about. It's like you didn't solve... Fermat's last theorem or anything. It's not. It, it's, it's fine. I mean, good for you, I guess. But it's not. It's not something to to brag about it. Although people do, people brag about it. You see, see people post like, "I got Wordle in four tries this time," or "I got Wordle in right." Um. So what the fuck is this? I'm gonna read this article. I just. What's wrong with what's wrong with us study 
Everyone is cheating on Wordle according to Google search data. Speak for yourself, authors. Since the I'm just it's a short article. Since the New York Times brought Wordle, bought Wordle at the end of January 2022, cheating has been at an all-time high among Wordle users. Last December, search interest for the question today's Wordle on Google was so low it registered as zero for search popularity. But by February 14th, searches for Wordle answers reached peak popularity, registered 100 on Google's scale from zero to 100. Here are some of our findings from a Google Trends exploration of Wordle. Swill and Aroma were the words players cheated for the most, both registered 100s on Google's search popularity scale. In comparison, on January 4th, Siege registered a 1 on the scale. Wordle cheaters were usually looking for the answers between 7 and 8 a.m. They didn't even wait to try. Uh, the biggest Wordle cheaters were from New Hampshire. <laughs> so just to be clear today, we've learned that both Texas and New Hampshire suck in their own ways and maybe not the best place to secede, but maybe every place sucks. Certainly California is the worst. Um, biggest cheaters and the Wordle answers they cheated for, the number one cheater was New Hampshire, the word swill. Number two and three were tied, Rhode Island and Vermont, for the words caulk and tacit. Number four, Washington, D.C., the word tacit. Number five, Massachusetts, the word dodge. And in Maine, number six, dodge and tacit. Um, here, I'll show you this stupid. I can't believe I'm showing you this. <laughs> I'll show you the stupid graph because, you know, why not? Uh, let's see. Share screen. Here's your here's your graph. You can see on this graph the upward trend. Hey, startup guys would love it. It's a hockey stick graph. Up and to the right. Boom. Up and to the right. Cheating on Wordle. That's the thing we do. We cheat on Wordle. Okay. I know this. I know this sounds stupid, but there's. I, I want to use it as an example here. Um, why are these people lying? Because I I was fascinated by this. I don't. I play Wordle, uh, but I don't. I mean, I don't share my Wordle. Who shares? I don't share my Wordle results. I'm sorry if some of you share them. I don't understand that. Um, but I thought, like, why are people lying about this? Why are they cheating on Wordle? They're cheating so they can lie to strangers on the internet about how smart they are with five-letter words. You don't have to be an Einstein here. But apparently we have an epidemic of people who are compelled to pretend they've solved a midwit problem that they didn't actually solve. Now you might say, Carter, who cares? Why does this matter? This is small. It's a small, stupid thing. It's exactly why I'm talking about it, because big sins, to use that word, uh, big sins are obvious, right? But often our psychological health dies the death of a thousand cuts. Few people go out and murder anyone like Raskolnikov and then feel bad about it, right? But a lot of people like a, make a lot of small psychologically self-destructive decisions. 
And I think this is a great example of tiny bits of widespread self-harm. The single paper cuts over and over. People are poisoning their own psychology en masse. And it matters because there are real consequences for them and for the rest of us. I'm going to read some stuff. So Nathaniel Brandon. I don't know if you guys know, this is an old book. I've had this book forever. It's called Six Books of Self or Six Pillars of Self-Esteem. Nathaniel Brandon, um, he was my therapist for a while, actually, before he passed away. He um he's considered the father of the self-esteem movement. Now, before you say, oh my God, the self-esteem movement has been the downfall of society, there's participation trophies and all this crap. Um, he was aware of how that don't blame him. He was aware of how the movement might be corrupted. <laughs> I will. I will read I will read this. If our enthusiasm for self-esteem is not matched by appropriate intellectual rigor, we run the risk not only of failing to produce worthwhile results, but also of discrediting the field. I think it's pretty fair to say that's happened at this point. Because most people hear self-esteem and they're like, Pfft. right? But this guy wrote a lot of books. Um, and he was, he was a pretty successful therapist. Um, he... You know, this this book, Six Pillars of Self-Esteem, is kind of the culmination of decades of his of his work. Um, and by pillars, he means practices like habits, things to do to to, to gain self-esteem. Um, because he argues that self-esteem is affected by the choices that we make. Right. Um, not participation trophies or I hate when I hate when parents say good job to kids. That's I, I you know. Sorry, I dropped something. I I can't, I can't, yeah. That doesn't help. Good job and participation trophies don't help. I'm going to read a little bit of, I'm going to just read you some here. So what is it? Let's first talk about what he means by self-esteem. His formal definition here. Well, I guess there's a couple because the formal definition is self-esteem is the disposition to experience oneself as competent to cope with the basic challenges of life and as worthy of happiness. But so really he says there's two kind of um, interrelated components here as he, as he writes. And he says, one is a sense of basic confidence in the face of life's challenges, which is, which he calls self-efficacy. And the other is a sense of being worthy of happiness, which he calls self-respect. And he says, self-efficacy means confidence in the functioning of my mind, in my ability to think, understand, learn, choose, and make decisions. Confidence in my ability to understand the facts of reality that fall within the sphere of my interests and needs. Self-trust, self-reliance. He says, self-respect means assurance of my value and an affirmative attitude toward my right to live and to be happy. Comfort in appropriately asserting my thoughts, wants, and needs. The feeling of the feeling that joy and fulfillment are my natural birthright. So. Let's read some of his examples here of the sense of self choices that you have. Focusing versus not focusing. Thinking versus not thinking. 
Respect for facts versus indifference to facts. Respect for truth versus rejection of truth. <clears throat> Honesty with self versus dis dishonesty. So let's talk about self-efficacy really quickly. Because remember, there's two components. To be efficacious is to be capable of producing a desired result. Confidence in our basic efficacy is confidence in our ability to learn what we need to learn and do what we need to do in order to achieve our goals insofar as success depends on our own efforts. Self-efficacy is not the conviction that we have can never make an error. It is the conviction that we are able to think, to judge, to know, and to correct our errors. It is trust in our mental processes and abilities. Self-efficacy is not the certainty that we will be able to master any and every challenge that life presents. It is the conviction that we are capable in principle of learning what we need to learn and that we are committed to doing our rational and conscientious best to master the tasks and challenges entailed by our values. Self-efficacy is deeper than confidence in our specific knowledge and skills based on our past success and accomplishments. Although it is clearly nurtured by them, it is confidence in what made it possible for us to acquire knowledge and skills and to achieve success. It is confidence in our ability to think, in our consciousness, and how we choose to use it. Again, trust in our process, and as a consequence, a disposition to expect success for our efforts. To be lacking in the experience of self-efficacy, to anticipate defeat rather than victory, is to be interrupted or undermined or paralyzed to varying degrees in our efforts to cope with the tasks and challenges life presents to us. Who am I to think? Who am I to master challenges? Who am I to choose, decide, leave the comfort of the familiar, persevere in the face of obstacles, fight for my values? So that's, that's what he means by self-efficacy. Let's just briefly read a little bit about um, let's brief a little bit about self-respect. It is impossible to escape the realm of values and value judgments because they are demanded by the very nature of life. Good for me or bad for me ultimately translates to for my life and well-being or against them. Further, and essential to an understanding of self-esteem, we cannot exempt ourselves from the realm of values and value judgments. We cannot be indifferent to the moral reasoning of our actions, although we may may try to be, uh, although we may try to be or pretend to be. At some level, their value significance irresistibly registers in the psyche, leaving positive feelings about the self in their wake of negative ones. Whether the values by which we explicitly or implicitly judge ourselves are conscious or subconscious, rational or irrational, life-serving or life-threatening, everyone judges himself or herself by some standard. To the extent that we fail to satisfy that standard, to the extent there is a split between ideals and practice, self-respect suffers. Thus, personal integrity is intimately related to the moral aspect of self-esteem. For the optimal realization of our possibilities, we need to trust ourselves and we need to admire ourselves and the trust and admiration need to be grounded in reality, not gener not generated out of fantasy and self-delusion. Sorry, I'm going to really quickly read another part on pride. Uh, 
He says, I want to say a few words about pride as distinguished from self-esteem. Pride is a unique kind of pleasure. If self-esteem pertains to the experience of our fundamental competence and value, pride pertains to the more explicitly conscious pleasure we take in ourselves because of our actions and achievements. Self-esteem contemplates what needs to be done and says, I can. Pride contemplates what has been accomplished and says, I did. Authentic pride has nothing in common with bragging, boasting, or arrogance. It comes from an opposite root. Not emptiness, but satisfaction is its wellspring. It is not out to prove, but to enjoy. Nor is pride the delusion that we are without flaws or shortcomings. We can take pride in what we have done or what we have made of ourselves while acknowledging our errors and imperfections. We can feel pride while owning and accepting what the Jungians call our shadow. In short, pride in no way entails obliviousness to reality. Pride is the emotional reward of achievement. I know that's a long reading. So what are the consequences of cheating at Wordle? I know it's a little thing. What are the consequences? Well, let's look at self-efficacy. What are you choosing to do? Do you have respect for reality? Or do you have avoidance of reality? Respect for facts and truth? Or avoidance of facts and truth? Perseverance in the efforts to understand? Or abandonment of the effort? Loyalty in action to professed convictions? Or disloyalty? Honesty with yourself or dishonesty with yourself? Which message are you sending to your subconscious when you cheat at Wordle? I'm capable of applying myself and solving a problem even when it's difficult. D difficult. Or I'm incapable of solving a simple word game and I can't let anyone find out about it. Which message are you sending? Let's talk about self-respect. Whenever I hear self-respect, I think of like an old, an old grandma. Like, have some respect for yourself. <laughs> I don't know why. That's what I, and that's the voice she uses. Um... She knew. Grandma knew. Have some respect for yourself. What are you choosing in the self in the self respect realm? Are you saying I live by my values, or are you saying I fail to live by my values? I meet my standard of value, or I don't meet my standard of value. My self trust and self admiration are grounded in reality, as she writes, or generated out of a fantasy and self delusion. The pride of sharing your answer. Is it authentic pride? Is it earned? Are you enjoying the emotional reward of an achievement? Or is it an ersatz pride? Are you bragging and boasting? Are you enjoying the actual victory of solving this stupid little game? Or are you focused on proving that you've solved the stupid little game? So if self-esteem, if your psychology is made healthier by the actions and the practices that you choose to, to do. Um, then it, you know, then you're, you're choosing actions that reinforce the sense of self efficacy and self-respect. But what are you doing when you cheat on Wordle and lie to strangers online while well, you're poisoning your sense of self efficacy, you're poisoning your self respect all cause you want feeble bragging rights over a dumb game. I mean, you can't even actually enjoy the little praise you get if you share your cheated answer because you know it's not directed at you. It's directed at the fictional character that you presented. 
when you misrepresent yourself, the advantages that you think you get don't actually accrue to you. You might consciously think that you're getting advantage out of it, but your subconscious knows better. And instead of advantages, you're getting injuries. You're getting injured. This is why I've given this advice to people about um, dating. I don't know why people have asked about dating a couple times, but um, I, I tell them to be brutally honest in, in their dating profiles, right? And at first dates, right? Fine, you put your best foot forward. You don't have to be like, look, I have this weird growth, right? Like, I get that. I'm not saying that you you know you have to do that necessarily, but um, don't misrepresent who you are. So many people try and misrepresent who they are, but that doesn't that is ultimately self defeating because even if it works, and this person starts falling for you, ultimately this will only cause you pain because they're not falling for you; they're falling for the fake you, and you've just validated that you're not worthy of love because eventually they will decide that you suck because you're not who they thought you were. So why am I saying Wordle is a black pill? Look, it's just another minor piece of evidence to suggest that there's widespread psychological self-harm happening right now. It's a minor thing, but it's not just the obvious stuff like libs of TikTok, right? You can watch that and you, it's clear there's self-harm happening. But even in minor ways, even in little ways, we're doing it all the time as a society. We can't even play stupid word games without poisoning our psychology. It's Wordle for Christ's sake. It's Wordle, guys. If you want to be a better person, if you want to be happier and more grounded and more confident and, and integrated as a person, you can start very simply. This is a very simple thing to do. Start with Wordle. Put in the work on Wordle. If you don't get it in six tries, if you fail, that's okay. Or you just can stop playing if you're failing at it a lot. You, that's fine if you don't want to play it anymore. But at the very least, please stop posting your results, especially your cheating results. <laughs> I got to say, the saddest part of the story for people cheating and sharing their Wordle results is no one cares. No one cares. No, literally no one cares about your Wordle results. I, I don't know why you're faking them. <sighs> All right. We should end it. It's it's almost two hours. Next time, should I talk about? I look, I'm I'm considering talking about money next time, right? Uh, because I think people don't understand how important it is. I, I know that sounds silly, but like wars can't happen without money. Uh, we couldn't do anything that we're doing now without government control of money. Um, there's been like. Uh, the government is up in our business financially in ways that we probably maybe some people don't even realize. Um, Biden just had an executive order on on crypto. Someone asked me to talk about building alternate communities. I guess agorism is kind of a, a form of that. So maybe we should do it. If you guys want to do a theme of that, let me know. If you want to talk about that alternate community stuff and throw in money in there, we can we can do that sometime. Um, just let me know. Um, by the way, before we go. Electric vehicles are the great reset. People were asking Elon Musk to shut off Teslas in Russia. Now, I don't think he responded, but he probably could. And I don't think, I don't know how buying, I don't have a Tesla. I don't know the rules, how buying a Tesla is, but I would not be surprised if for electric vehicles, you are licensing the software. You don't own it which means 
they can shut you off whenever, even if you buy the car, you don't own the car. You don't own the thing that runs the car. You don't own the software. So maybe stick to diesel. All right. Uh, that's it, guys. Thank you for joining me. Um, I'm looking in chat. I don't think there's any important questions or comments that I need to cover in chat. If I'm missing anything, Beverly, please let me know. Um, you're probably already subscribed to Unsafe Space, so thank you. Thank you for being subscribed. As a reminder, tomorrow at noon Pacific, we've got Nico House. On Friday, uh, the last GoFeffy break is Lou Perez from We The Internet TV and Sonny Loman. Uh, so they'll be here on Friday. If you forgot to subscribe for some weird reason, why not do it now? Cost nothing. Helps us out. It's free. Also, please help us grow the community at Unsafe Space. You know, I we just mentioned, like, maybe we should talk about alternative community. People said, like, hey, maybe talk about that. This is where it starts. It starts here. So find someone that you want to be in this community and share the content with them. That's how it works. So, and then we'll, you know, hopefully we'll not always be online all the time. We'll find ways to meet in reality. Maybe we'll all be on the same boxcar when it's time to... Anyway, um, enormous thanks to those of you who support us financially. You can go to unsafespace.com to do that. You get your name or pseudonym in the credits if you want, depending on your levels. You get, everyone gets access to the Discord server. You can talk to us and the team and to each other. You get that mug thing that I was pointing at before. As always, I love topic suggestions, feedback, all that kind of stuff. I know this show wasn't deep philosophical, but it was long, and there was just a lot of stuff I wanted to cover that was more, I guess, I guess psychological or just commentary and less less deep philosophy. But Anyway, let me let me know what topics you want me to cover in the future. I hope to see you all tomorrow for the Nico House interview at noon Pacific. Take care, everyone. Thanks for sticking around until the end. If you're new to Unsafe Space, Check out our deep content library that includes discussions with everyone from James Lindsay to Brett Weinstein. And please consider helping to fund our work by visiting unsafespace.com donate. You can find us on a variety of social media platforms, and you can find a community of like-minded individuals on our Unsafe Space Discord server, which is open to financial supporters at any level. We hope to see you there. Warning, this is an unsafe space. Dangerous ideas have been detected. The content of this production has not been approved by Neil Young. Please consider canceling the responsible parties. Here's a list. Do you know what's fascist? When truckers refuse to deliver products to the ruling class. That's what the dictionary says. I swear. The continued war on drugs will require the distribution of free crack pipes. If you think about it, no one should be allowed to express opinions. But don't. Think about it, I mean. That's not your job. Thinking has been scientifically proven to be less efficient than compliance. Science. Scientific. 
and scientifically are registered trademarks of the World Economic Forum. Unauthorized use is prohibited. Computer voice Curtis Never mind, that last line is fake news. Please disregard it and return to your safe space immediately. There will be cake.